0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Hemel Javeri. It's a Tuesday episode and you might be surprised to hear my voice, but that is because Luke is off to his homeland uh, in England. So you guys are stuck with me. But we have a really great guest with us today. It's Eric Malinowski, who is sports writer extraordinaire. And he's got a new book coming out called Beta Ball, how Silicon Valley and science built one of the greatest basketball teams in history. Eric, welcome to the show
1: uh thanks thanks for having me on appreciate it
0: um so let's get right into it i kind of want to talk about the book i want to talk about the warriors and kind of the crazy week weekend that we've had in sports there's a lot going on (laughs) no there's no there's not much going on what are you talking about
1: ah just typical doldrums of uh september
0: so tell me a little bit of the backstory of the book how it came together uh and what it was like reporting everything
1: so, uh, mostly, uh, generally, as a freelance writer, for first for Sports on Earth and then Bleacher Report, I've been covering the Warriors pretty closely. I would say for the last three years, maybe uh, sort of the tail end of the Mark Jackson area, but definitely, you know, since Steve Kerr has come in mm-hmm. as head coach, so we're that's going on our fourth season now. But my first experience with the Warriors went all the way back to about 2011. I was working at Wired.com as their sports editor, so I was doing a lot of stories for the website. Uh, that live sort of at this intersection between sports and technology. And I remember reading a blurb in the San Francisco Chronicle about how the Warriors were now going to be the fifth NBA team to install all these uh, brand new cool motion tracking cameras inside of their arena. And the idea was that this was possibly going to turn the franchise around, and we're going to be able to analyze basketball like we've never known before, and and all these things. And, and the first four teams that had adopted what we now know as SportView were you know all based in Texas, and they were all in Oklahoma City, and they were all really good. These were teams that were at the forefront of analytics mm-hmm. at the, the burgeoning tech movement. And then there was the Warriors, you know, who were <laughs> – this is hard for us to remember, I think, because we have sort of short memories when it comes to this sort of thing. But the Warriors were absolutely terrible back in 2011, and they had just been bought by uh, a, couple of, a couple of people. One was a Hollywood producer named Peter Guber, and the other one was a longtime Silicon Valley entrepreneur and venture capitalist named Joe Lakeup. Mm-hmm. So they had literally just been in ownership of the team just for about three or four months at that point, and they were already – trying to install these new uh, technological ventures that were hopefully gonna turn the franchise around. So I thought, this sounds really interesting. Let me go check this out. So I actually went to Oracle Arena. It was the last day of the regular season, 2011. And I went up into the rafters above Oracle Arena with their assistant general manager, Travis Schlink, who was just hired as the GM for the Atlanta Hawks. And so we're up there and he's, you know, we're, we're literally you know, leaning out over the catwalks. <laughs> you know, he's pointing out these cameras that they had just installed a couple months before. And so I wrote it up for Wired, and the whole tone of the story really was about how they really have nothing to lose. This is a franchise that is literally the NBA's rock bottom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a chance. You know, they're they're going for it here. We've got some tech minded, you know, new owners come in. They're going to invest the money. They're going to bring in the people. And maybe with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of good fortune, maybe they can turn this around. I never thought <laughs> that they would, you know, go on to set all these records to win two championships in three years, but I realized that I felt like I was in a position uniquely suited to write the story of how this Franchise came sort of almost came out of nowhere But also look at it through a, a lens of science and Silicon Valley and look at not just things like Installing the motion tracking cameras before you know 80% 85% of the NBA had mm-hmm. but the behind-the-scenes stuff you know, instilling you know a new sort of ethos in the organization where You know, they run it like a startup. So, you know, everyone has a voice in the room and you never know where that next good decision is gonna come from. You know, things like investing in renovating office space so that, you know, to encourage collaboration and things like that. And and this is all stuff that sounds really jargony and buzzwordy and like, I think when we read about it, like in terms of Silicon Valley, like we tend to sort of roll our eyes a little bit, but this had real actual tangible effects on the improvement of the franchise and their rise over the last few years. So it's very much a book that looks at the basketball side but I wanted to sort of intertangle that with the off-court stuff and how they were, you know, reorganizing the front office and the coaching staff and things like that so that all of these things work on a new and higher level. They all work in, in concert with each other. And it's just a, a new and sort of a better way to build a basketball team. So I think that's what the book sort of really gets at.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's really interesting because uh, this is not just about the talent on the court, uh, Right. Is, and I don't want
1: to take away from the talent right. on the court. That is still a very integral part of everything.
0: Would you say that the Warriors gave the athletes on the court, like Steph Curry, the freedom to to kind of be better at what they are doing, right? Because it sounds like all of these little things have to work together. You have a front office that's encouraging innovation, um, that is running smoothly, that also takes a lot of pressure off athletes on the court to be able to do what it is that they're going to do best. Yeah,
1: I think that's absolutely right. That's a really great point. sort of foundationally speaking, the mm-hmm. warriors they try to turn this into a situation where you think about any sort of office uh, place that functions well is a place where employees feel that they can they can be themselves, mm-hmm. that they can uh, contribute to the workspace, you know, by their nature of their own strengths. And and that there are other people there that will make up for their weaknesses. And they that's how they try to operate this sort of just within a sports and a business context. You know, when I talk to a lot of the Warriors, you know, over the course of the last few years, you'll hear quotes from them like, you know, uh, it's great coming to work every day. You know, it's just a pleasure, it's so much fun. This isn't how we're we're used to hearing athletes talk about, you yeah. know, playing, playing a professional sport. You never, you don't often hear them talk about it like coming to the workplace. But that's, but that's really what it is. I mean, in some ways, it's really just no different from anyone else going to workplace. And this idea that employees like to be valued, like to have their opinions known, mm-hmm. and like to feel that they're part of the team. And so they've extended that not only on the court, they try to extend that off the court as well. And so I think that's why everything kind of works really well together.
0: Yeah, you said earlier that you thought Bob Myers was kind of the, the hidden star of the book. Uh, can you... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was really funny. So we were talking about the day that I went up on the catwalks above Oracle Arena, lit April of 2011. That mm-hmm. was also the very that very same day. It was the last day of the regular season. That was when news leaked that the Warriors were hiring uh, a longtime sports agent, 15 years, you know, working under Arn Tellem, you know, one of the legends of sports agent industry. They were hiring a guy, a agent named Bob Myers, uh, who had no executive experience whatsoever. He didn't know anything about running a basketball team. And they were going to hire him as not only just as an assistant general manager, but they were, you know, in essence, it was an apprenticeship that they were mm-hmm. going to groom him for that job under Larry Riley, who was the GM then, was the guy who you know gets credited for drafting Steph Curry. Uh, you know, Bob Myers was in that job for one year, and then they, you know, they moved uh, Larry Riley to another position. They installed uh, Bob as general manager, and you just look at, you know, it, it was that draft. You know, about a month mm-hmm. um, after. Bob became the general manager that was when they hired you know, they got Harrison Barnes with the seventh pick they got Draymond green with the 35th pick and you know they had you know they were able to sign Andre Iguodala two years later to a free agent contract and so you know we, we, we look at a lot of the talent on the court and obviously you've seen the growth of these players over time nobody thought a lot of these guys were going to become as good as they did. Yeah but so much of that is not just on the drafting but is be able to attract talent to the warriors who could not attract any sort of free agents for all these years and a lot of that ta- and all of that credit really just just to go to bob and he's so he's so soft spoken and it's just like this organization where everybody wants to pass the credit on to somebody else but i would say more times than not the person that the other people are always want to pass the credit to is bob myers mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's twice now he's won NBA Executive of the Year awards. You, you just look at the accomplishments they've had over these years. It's undeniable that he has been such a key part of this. And I still feel like to a certain extent there's a lot of sort of general mainstream sports fans that don't really know who Bob is. You yeah. know, not in sort of the sense that, you know, we thought about those old, you know, Lakers and Celtics teams of great. You know, if, they, if the Warriors go on to win a few more championships or at least two or three more perhaps over the next few years – you're going to talk, Bob Myers is going to be in that pantheon of executives that, you know, created teams that sort of changed the way the game is played. So I feel like if anything, like his star is still very much rising. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that almost just came about naturally. As I was writing the book, it was like all these tangents, all these little directions, all these arrows just ended up pointing at Bob, you know, in one way or another. So I feel like that could be another thing that people come away is that, you know, this is a guy that, you know, when he was first hired, people thought, what are they doing? You're going to hire a sports agent as your assistant GM and he's going to take over the team. I mean, honestly, it just could not have worked out any better. And I think Bob is a really integral reason why.
0: Yeah, you hear a lot of people will obviously talk about Steve Kerr, Draymond Green and Steph Curry, but it's very, you know, GMs generally don't get a lot of headlines and they shouldn't really be generating headlines. (laughs) Yeah, not really. Yeah. So that is a very, um, that's a really good insight and tidbit from the book. What about the Warriors culture? Uh, It seems that, especially since, you know, we've been so politically up and down, however you want to describe the current climate in the U.S., uh, divisive, I think, is probably the most diplomatic term I can use right now. Um, What about the warrior's culture? Do you think that it's... Do you think that that was established well before things uh, became so tense politically? It seems like they had a very open culture.
1: Yeah, this is, um, you know, I will... You know, it's like... Joe Lacob, like a lot of other sports owners, I think is, is, is quietly conservative. Mm -hmm. He's not, he doesn't sort of wear that on his sleeve. I I think his, um, I, I, you know, I I think we've discerned this from like Instagram photos from his children or from him, but I believe his dogs are named after characters in Atlas Shrugged. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if like one of them is named John (laughs) Paul, but there's, there's definitely some like, you know, libertarian leanings and references. And if you, and I think if you look and dig deep enough, you're going to find those and i and i think sort of unsurprisingly you mm-hmm. know what i mean um but i think in some ways like to his credit like maybe sort of the smartest thing he's done is is just kind of keep quiet about a lot of this stuff because I don't i feel like when it comes to his team and in the, the organization the franchise that he runs it would it would sort of be a net negative for mm-hmm. him to insert himself in. and and that was one of the mistakes that he personally really made the first two years of his ownership was he was very much you know he was sort of out in front and center. And it really rubbed a lot of the fans the wrong way, and it kind of backfired in a lot of ways. You know, one of the real turning points of the book is when he uh, tried. You know, it was the night of Chris Mullins, uh, you know, the retirement of his jersey, and you know this came a week after they had just traded Monte Ellis to Milwaukee, he brought in you know an injured Andrew Bogut who wasn't going to be playing for months mm-hmm. because he you know, really couldn't walk at that point. And, uh, and, and it was, and it was just a complete and utter debacle. You know, you've got, you know, f- members of the Minnesota Timberwolves are laughing on the sidelines during halftime, you know, watching Joe Lakeup just get absolutely pummeled by the fans. And so he, w- he took a lot away from that and he took a step back, but at the same time he hasn't, um, you know, he, he's allowed his players and his coaching staff to express themselves. I mean, you look at the way and, and this even happened before Steve Curry, you know, Mark Jackson was very vocal. He was actually, you know, was very, very open about his faith and things like that you know the organization didn't come down to him for a lot of that stuff and you look at steve kerr and the way that he's you know become sort of a, a focal point for a lot of the stuff and you know he gets up on the dais you know before any sort of game last season and he feels completely comfortable he knows there's not going to be any sort of internal backlash from him talking about you know non-sports things you know so he doesn't force the people in his organization to stick to sports it it, it not to be cynical but it works to his benefit You know, it's, it's, a, it's a smart uh, tactic for him not to not, not to, you know, lay down the hammer as far as that stuff goes, yeah. but, but this has become, this has become sort of part and parcel with who the warriors are. It's become part of their identity. Uh, it's, it's worked out for them. It, it's smart of them and, and to be so progressive and to, to be sort of, you know, on the right side of history as it were. And mm-hmm. so, um, it's it's easily it's, it's a mistake that you think you see a lot of other franchises and organizations make, and the Warriors are not going to fall into that same sort of trap.
0: Not to call out Tom Brady, but he's kind of the, the biggest example, is that he decided not to take a stand one way or the other. And he's trying to
1: have it both ways, basically.
0: Yeah, he, he tried to have it both ways. It, it definitely has not really worked in his favor, whereas for the Warriors, they've kind of been lifted up as a model um, for for what athletes you know should be doing they're they're outspoken yes but also that they've got the freedom to say whatever it is that they think so they've definitely been given that leeway and fans have really bonded to that and appreciated that when you when you're starting to write a book like this did you go in with any preconceptions or was there stuff that really surprised you
1: um i think that um you know, generally speaking, I sort of wrote the book that I had envisioned from the get-go, mm-hmm. I would say, in terms of at least in terms of general framework and, and things like that. I wouldn't say that it – I mean, th- maybe there were a couple directions here and there that kind of veered. But I would say that generally speaking, I was surprised at just how much there was to write about, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, sort of digging in. I think that that kind of happens if you're digging into any sort of long feature or anything like that you know, inevitably you, you write what you need to write and there's some bloat and you kind of cut it down and, and kind of, you know, it's very lean and all that with this, it was just like the, the, the twists and turns just sort of kept coming and coming. And it was more sort of about the volume. And then after a while I realized, well, you're, you're trying to write about basically six years, you know, yeah. of events. You know, this is not, this is not a small period of time, but you know, there was, there was a lot of, was a lot of basketball to write about and there was just a lot of stuff off the court and and the book sort of moves very chronologically like vinnie very linearly Mm -hmm. so it kind of starts at a you know starts at a it ends at z but there's just so much in between there's so many sort of tangents and asides and i and i think for me kind of the challenge was kind of just sort of keeping the pacing going like i realized that there's a lot of stuff in here and i really just you know as a book writer you want to be able to sort of take the reader's hand at the beginning sort of and say look. Mm-hmm. We're going on a long adventure here. you know it's going to take a little while to get there, but you're in good hands. So, <laughs> so just sort of sit back, enjoy the ride. We will get there eventually. I think you'll enjoy it, and we'll be fine. And it's just but it's just about keeping the pacing going and just sort of not not getting bogged down in any any one thing or another. and 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 I feel like once I was able to sort of establish a rhythm, I would say getting started was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> getting started was a lot harder than I thought. It was very daunting. Right, But there's something that happens, you know, if you're trying to write 100,000 words. I think this book ended up at about 115. Mm-hmm. But when you sort of get to that 40, 50, 60,000-word mark and you kind of know that, all right, even if there's like total disaster here, I've, I've, I've got some momentum going. I kind of know where I've been. I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of feel okay. But getting started is was a lot harder <laughs> than I thought. You know, you, it just, it's a word of advice to all potential bookers. <laughs> yeah, for,
0: you're uh, in for uh, a slog. Progress, yes. Do you have a favorite anecdote, something from the book that really jumps out at you? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. I think that um, I just like, you know, there's um, the Warriors just have like sort of a very open policy. Like we t- we sort of talked about this in terms of like their public persona and what they mm-hmm. can say and things like that, but... But a lot of that also sort of extends to the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like Mm -hmm. there's not – like it's not a police state, I I guess you could say, sort of inside the arenas. Like uh, just as an example, you know, the the writers, you know, you you can walk around. Like you can walk – You know, down hallways, you know, you can walk past the family room, you see people coming in and out and things like that. You see, you know, owners of the team and their significant others, you know, coming in and out of, you know, the the club, you know, the bar, you know, literally right off the court and so just being able to pepper the book with this color and these details like you know after i think it was after the 2015 uh conference finals against houston just being able to you know i'm walking down on my way to the press conference room and i see del curry Mm -hmm. you know walking out of the family room you know first he's holding riley curry by the hand and then he picks her up and kisses her on the cheek and gives her a hug and she hugs him back and it's just like just be, being able to to be in a position where you can sort of see these things that no one else sees, I feel like those are the parts of the book that, that I kind of gravitate to more because it's not just stuff that you're going to necessarily see like in a game story or something like that. It's this stuff that really it tells you sort of how important this is to everyone and how just this kind of familial nature, you know, and everyone is looking out for each other. And there's a lot of sort of examples like that. That one might be my favorite because I'm a father of a four-year-old, so, you know. <laughs> I guess they sort of gravitate towards those dad kind of moments, or I guess in this case, grandpa moments. Uh, um, but I think that if, if there's anything I really kind of like about the book, it's kind of seeing those those little anecdotes peppered throughout.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's adorable story just because to have that unmediated look, you know, they, they don't know that they're being watched. They're not putting on a show. It's just a sweet moment between I, a grandfather yeah. and uh, his granddaughter.
1: I feel like there's a lot of franchises out there that would sort of go out of their way to, you know, sort of police those moments or, you know, make sure, you know, just go sort of go overboard with privacy or stuff like that, but we we have a really I would say that the press has a really good relationship with the team. You know, there's a reason why, you know, the media relations team, you know, wins the, you know, PR award, yeah. you know. They won it last year, they won it 2 years ago. Um you know, there's a reason for that because they are professionals and and but there's there's a there's a good harmony I would say out here, you know, everyone. I guess maybe it's because the team keeps winning, you know, everybody, you know, it's 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 easy to enjoy going to work all the time because uh there's there's so much winning going on, but uh but it, it, we have fun out here, definitely.
0: So speaking of winning, have you noticed uh, any shift in the culture s- since they've become so hugely popular? Because I feel like there was a time where they were winning and this is actually when I probably started working in sports is that our NBA editor would kind of tell me about, oh, you got to pay attention to the Warriors, but they were still having a hard time getting national attention, even though they were winning. And then, you know, there was a tipping point. Have you noticed a shift in, in the culture, in the team, in egos since that happened?
1: I would say in, in some ways small and in some ways big, and, and also in some ways not at all. I think that's the most surprising thing. I would say, overarchingly, like, this is a team that is still like, Agonizingly normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like just just like really surprisingly normal. I mean, just the way that they sort of interact with each other. Um, they don't have those sorts of you know big controversies that they've had here in the past. That I think you often see with other franchises that get really big. You know what what was the the phrase you know the disease of more. Mm-hmm. You know after teams win a few titles, um, they haven't they haven't succumbed to that yet. Um, but in other ways, like I think they're they all just sort of embrace their professionalism. I think they all. You know, they value character like they bring in the right kind of players here. You know, I think Andre Iguodala sort of set that standard, you know, four or five years ago when he came in here. Um, But they're just not out to sort of get the most talented player or to spend the person that they would have to spend the most money on. And after a while, like that, that sort of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel you, you look at a guy like Nick Young that they brought in or even, you know, starting last season, let's say for example, when they brought in a guy like Matt Barnes, you know, that was a guy who had a very checkered past, you know, had some controversies and, and, and the Warriors were pressed on that. Mm -hmm. You know, they were pressed by, by the local media and they said, you know, this is not a, you know, you, you've talked about character, you've talked about bringing the right kinds of players. Doesn't really seem like Matt Barnes sort of fits that profile what are you thinking here and after a while it becomes a case where they feel like they can bring in guys and not not rehabilitate them but sort of bring out the best in them right. in a way and i think you know there were no problems with matt barnes you know once he came on the team and now you look at a guy like nick young that they brought in and again you know maybe a couple of years ago when everyone was talking about culture and character you would have said oh there's no way that they bring in a guy like nick young because you look at you know again the controversies that he had down in la right. and i think that this is a guy who could stir the pot or or could disrupt the balance of the chemistry. They don't worry about that anymore because they are so comfortable in who they are and what they have established that they can now, like their margin for error is larger now because of that. So they can bring in a guy like Matt Barnes. They can bring in a guy like Nick Young and they don't have to worry about it sort of, you know, upending the apple cart in any way. So that's, that's, that's the virtue of, you know, having all that success and being able to, you know, propagate all that professionalism is that, it becomes sort of self-fulfilling after a while.
0: It's funny. Uh, I'm an NHL person. So NHL teams are very big on this. You've got to fit in with the culture of the team thing. And it's a big mm-hmm. reason why they said P.K. Subban was traded from Montreal t- to Nashville is because he didn't fit in with the culture. But the culture that's means. yeah, worked out well. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> for Nashville. For Nashville. Yeah. It's worked out great for them. So it's really funny to, to hear you say this because uh, it can mean two very different things, right? Because NHL teams, yeah. when they say that, they, it's a very restrictive thing that they're talking about. Um, so I want to talk about uh, this weekend, which has been, you know, let's say interesting. Um, <laughs> and it started with it started on Friday with Donald Trump calling out the NFL and it escalated on Saturday with, uh, you know, Donald Trump saying that the Warriors were not uninvited. What, are, what is your take on that situation?
1: There were a lot there were so many tears shed here in the <laughs> Bay Area when uh, Donald Trump uninvited Steph Curry. And I presume the Warriors by extension, but I guess technically he only disinvited Steph Curry. Yeah,
0: so. he definitely just said you're Poor not. In-
1: Steph, I don't know how he's how he's gonna get along. <laughs> um But I, I um, I think, from the Warriors' uh, vantage point, it was it was unsurprising Mm -hmm. what transpired, sort of on this end of uh, things. I don't, I don't think, um, you know, we had Warriors media day on Friday, and the one thing about the Warriors, if you spend enough time around this team, is that you know that, you know, for all of the bluster that you might hear from a guy like Draymond Green or or from other players. All right, mostly it's Draymond green <laughs> um <laughs> this team really marches to the step of whatever you know steph curry is the longest tenured warrior mm-hmm. he's the guy who's been around you know since things were really bad you know the book basically starts off with them at rock bottom and steph curry's there for all of that so he's the guy who's been around he has the most invested he, he is he is the voice and the soul of this warriors team and so what you can – if you ever want to know what's going on with the Warriors, just, just listen to whatever Steph Curry says. Tune out all the other noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, his voice is the signal in this case. And when, when you heard Steph, you know, uh, you know, vacillating, you know, which is at best you could say. But it really was – you could really just read, read between the lines and, and you knew that the Warriors were not – there was just no way that they were going to go to the right. White House even if they were invited. So I feel like this has sort of been a little bit of a, a fait accompli on the Warriors' part for a long time. I was – Surprised to see the, the other end of it get so amplified. I was surprised to see the president go after them. But I wonder, you know, I mean, the, the Warriors have played this very well, uh, almost to the point where you kind of wonder perhaps if they may have goaded the president. Oh, in some way. That,
0: I mean, that would have been Machiavellian had they had the foresight and ability <laughs> yeah. to do that. Are you ready
1: for some game theory? Here we go. All right. So Here's- t- theory,
0: take me back a little bit, because it sounded like as a team or the league had told them to accept the invitation. Is that am I is that accurate or
1: Um, or were they
0: always just as soon as they won? I know that the comments started as soon as they won the championship. Right. That that was almost like the second question people asked them. Are you going to go to the White House? Uh, So it always felt like uh, in the back of their minds. But there was never a time when there was they said yes if we get an uh if we get an invitation we will go
1: no I think that um yeah I don't th- I don't think that there was ever a case yeah there was definitely no one's really changed their mind put okay, it that way. yeah I feel like this um I and I'm not even sure if their minds were even it could ever have been changed but yes I feel like whenever they won the championship this was this was always going to be the natural course of events and I'd, I'd I would have been utterly shocked if literally anything other than what has happened had happened, right? Uh, it was always going to be like this,
0: yeah. For sure. And it's funny is that you know Donald Trump, anytime he attacks somebody, it, it just tends to sway public opinion to their side. You know, if you if you yeah. weren't on his side before, you certainly are now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and again, you know, this is this has all worked very much to the Warriors' benefit, and 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 in some ways, I would say that sort of going through last season. Was kind of a nice trial run
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and 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 i think they took a lot of their a lot of the tone was set by what steve kerr had said you know even just you know even on october i would say you know before before the election had actually happened but even especially once the election did happen and steve was so open about it and then yeah. obviously you've seen other coaches like greg popovich uh, mm-hmm. get into it but um, yeah, the Warriors are very comfortable. They they know who they are. They they know what they want to say, and, and also they know the power and the influence that they wield. And um, there's something nice about you know seeing a team that that understands all of that and is you know willing to sort of you know, use that for the public good.
0: Yeah, they have become even if you are not a fan of the NBA or you're not a fan of sports, I feel like their political persona has kind of amplified them past just well these are NBA players, right? I think that especially. Uh, if interested in these issues that are happening, I've heard people outside of sports talk about Steph Curry and Steve Kerr and use them as examples of, of what they should be doing. So in a weird branding way, it's elevated them past just, well, this is an NBA player versus this is somebody who has some really insightful things to say about what's happening in our current political climate.
1: Yeah, and I'll say that in terms of the book, there's there's actually not a lot of politics in mm-hmm. the book. Um but I think if there's there's a takeaway that we could apply to current events, you you do sort of see how their character has sort of evolved over time, and, and not to say that they've you know done 180s on any of this stuff. But if you're curious to sort of know like you know how do you get from 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 a team or from a collection of players that no one's paying attention of to you know, this, you know, very progressive kind of, you know, woke attitudes and things like that. Yeah. You can sort of see that evolution over time. You see that you see the challenges that they went through. You see how they became comfortable in their own skin. You see, you know, you I get, in, you know, a lot of these chapters sort of double as player profiles, you know, mm-hmm. so you get, you, you get your Steph Curry profile, you get your Draymond, you get your Clay Thompson profile, and you kind of learn the backstory on a lot of these guys. And it sort of gives it the proper context for for kind of what we're seeing today, you kind of see where the seeds for all of those things were planted initially.
0: Yeah, it's not something like they just snapped their fingers and woke up. No, but, no, no. Yeah.
1: It's been a long road for a lot of them. Yeah. For
0: sure. So, uh, final question for you: What's next? What's next for the Warriors? Everybody's got them. The season hasn't even started, and they're already going to win the championship.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> they it's, 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 just pack it in. Come on. I, you know, I. It's interesting. You know, we, you know, especially I think since they signed Kevin Durant, there's been a mm-hmm. lot of this argument about. Oh, the Warriors are ruining competitive uh, balance in the NBA or things like that. I I think that's true to a certain extent, but it's not because the Warriors are gobbling up all of the available talent per se. It's because other teams, they're forcing other teams to gobble up the available talent. You look at something like, you know, the Houston Rockets, you know, going out of their way to, you know, bring in Chris Paul on that team. You know, I'm sort of dubious as to how that whole chemistry, how that experiment is going to work out. Um... But it's a clear reaction to not just the Warriors picking up their talent, but then, you know, seeing that through to fruition and, and, you know, winning the championship last year that everyone, you know, basically, you know, it was just championship or bust since last 4th of July. And so now we're we're seeing that again. And, you know, the old adage in the NBA, you know, you're really just kind of one knee injury away from, you know, everything (laughs) kind of falling apart. And I'm not sure that exactly applies to the Warriors, but – You know, one knee injury to any of their big four, and boy, that Western Conference becomes really, really competitive. You know, the Spurs are always going to be competitive. You look at what Houston's doing. Oklahoma City again I'm a little bit dubious as to how that chemistry is going to work out mm-hmm. but their defense can they there is a really good defensive lineup and there's a really good offensive lineup I don't think they're the same lineup but they can they can put out some combinations there that can give the Warriors some some trouble um so yeah I mean as long as the Warriors stay healthy I actually don't really think there is going to be a lot of drama but you look at what happened when Kevin Durant went down with that sprained MCL yeah. in late February last year and he was out for 5 weeks and the first couple of weeks, you know, the Warriors lost, you know, for their last, you know, first five games without Durant. And it was like the sky was falling all of a sudden. Um, and then they learned how to play basketball without Kevin Durant. And that's that's not a guarantee. And I, I honestly don't think a lot of people saw that coming. I don't think people thought they were going to win 14 in a row, uh, you know, and then Durant comes back from his knee injury. Um, but that's what this team is capable of. So. If they're healthy, I think they're gonna be fine. If they have any sort of injuries or strife, you never know what can happen. It doesn't mean that they necessarily are out of it, but yeah, it does become a lot more interesting at that point.
0: Well, that's what makes it so fun. Um, Yeah, yay sports. (laughs) Yay sports. It's good to have something to cheer about. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, Again, the book is called Beta Ball, How Silicon Valley and Science Built One of the Greatest Basketball Teams in History. And it's out October 8th.
1: October 3rd, next Tuesday.
0: Ah, October 3rd, next Tuesday. You can pre-order it on Amazon, and you can find Eric. What is your Twitter handle?
1: Uh, at Eric Mal, E-R-I-K-M-A-L. All
0: right. Tweet at Eric. Tweet at me. I'm at at Javary, or tweet us at for the Win. Questions, comments, and remember to rate and review us on iTunes if that's when you're catching us. Thank you guys for listening, and Eric, thanks so much for joining us again.
1: Thanks for having me.